Well, church, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 18. I want to invite Megan um, Brumley up. She's going to be reading for us out of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 this morning. And if you, ha- uh, if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. And Megan, I'll pass it off to you. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual complaining. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Megan. Is right as we jump into this parable, it's an interesting parable. It's one that's oftentimes kind of misunderstood and misinterpreted a little bit within the church. For example, uh, some I've heard that would take this text and, and kind of uh, preach it in such a way that gives us the idea that, man, listen, if you just persist in your prayers, whatever it is, it's, if you have enough faith and persist, or persist in your prayers, that, that God will, will be faithful and he's just going to answer those prayers. And so um, whether that's intended or not, oftentimes what it kind of turns God into is this kind of cosmic gumball machine where if we just do the right things and say the right things and pray enough that he will ultimately give us what we pray for. I've heard others kind of read this text and and they come away kind of feeling like, man, God feels like a little bit of this reluctant giver. Like he doesn't want to give us good gifts and he doesn't want to do these things for us. And so we need to, we need to pester him and we need to bother him over and over again until finally we can break him down. Uh, and he actually gives us what we want. And the problem with this is, is that as we've talked about already in this series, this is a parable. It's not an allegory. And meaning that the judge in this parable doesn't represent the father. And we know that because the judge is seen as uh, unrighteous and the judge is seen as someone who doesn't fear God and doesn't respect a man. None of those things are true of God and his character. And so while that's true, and while sometimes you hear these different things kind of being communicated, I think there's something much more clear happening in this text. And I think it's a very specific thing that holds a lot of hope for us as God's people in this day, the day that we live in, but also recognizing that there's a future coming. For us as people, there's, we live in a world in which is kind of hurtling towards an end in history. And I think this text helps us to understand how we are to act. The key theme for the text that Jesus is getting at is that enduring faith should come in prayer. In the midst of circumstances that oftentimes can feel and make us feel like God just simply is absent. That he's not about his work. He's not doing the things that he said that he's going to do. And so jumping in, Luke gives us the intent behind the parable. Look at at Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
This is the point of the text. This is the point of the parable. Luke is telling us, this is why I'm telling that Jesus told us this parable is so that we would always pray and that we would not lose heart. Now, this is also oftentimes referred to as unceasing prayer for the believer. You may be familiar with that idea. We see this in other parts of the New Testament, this idea of unceasing prayer in places like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17, which tells us, rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. All the time. You are always to pray. Now, I've always grown up in the church thinking, man, that feels like kind of an impossible task. Like, how am I supposed to pray all the time while I'm doing my job, my work, or this thing or that? Well, I do think that there's an important that we are always to pray. But what does Jesus actually mean? And what does Luke actually mean when he says that we ought always to pray? there's an answer to that. But before I answer that question, we need to consider what the substance of our prayers and their content should be, because that speaks into what it means when he says we should always pray. So what does substantive prayer, substantive unceasing prayer look like for the believer? Now you might be able to say anything. I'm just going to pray for anything. Everything that comes to my mind. And, you know, there's certainly truth to that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But God hasn't left this to be a mystery for us. He's given to us in his word clarity within direct commands as well as principles in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Jesus, in his teachings, and in the New Testament, and the apostles. All throughout scripture, he's given us ideas of what it looks like to pray in a biblical way. So I want to just kind of share with you some biblically approved prayers so that we can look at and think about the content and the substance of our prayers. Now, I'm going to go quickly through this, so just prepare to write this down or go to version and, and take a screen capture of what's there. But uh, these are things that have been given to us in Scripture for us to pray. We're to pray for laborers for the harvest more people like Aaron to go out into unreached people groups and to share the gospel, praying for laborers within Wichita to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus right here, whether it's in refugee communities or places like His Helping Hands or all kinds of different places. We're to pray for laborers to go into the harvest field. We're to pray for open doors of the gospel. Not that we just go into the fields, but that we pray that God would open doors for us. We're praying for fellow believers' faith that it would be steadfast, that it would be strong, that it would not fade, but that it would actually increase, not just people you know, but fellow believers all the way across the world and their faith, as we prayed for the people in Syria today. Or to pray for provision, to pray for help, to pray for strength. We're to pray for God to teach us, right? Like, God, I don't know what I should do, I don't know how I should live my life in the exact way that you want me to. Like, I need you to teach me things. Like, I don't have this all together. Like, that's a humbling thing, right? We're to pray for increased faith. Are we consistently praying, Lord, increase my faith in you, my trust in you, in every day, in the way that I live my life? Healing when we're sick, for wisdom. Right? That's not just knowledge, but the ability to apply knowledge into our lives. Lord, so as I learn things at church or in your word, help me to apply that into my life and actually walk that out. We're to pray for spiritual gifts, encouragement, teaching, those types of things. We're to pray for leading. God, take me where you want me to go. Help me know how you want me to live my life, where you want me to be and how you want me to go. We're to pray for forgiveness. 
Forgive us for our sins. We did that this morning when we came to the time of communion. We're to pray for deliverance from sin. Everyone in this room, I don't need to know your personal stories or all the skeletons you have in your closet. I already know that everyone in this room needs deliverance from some form of sin in their lives. I know that because none of us are perfect. And so we're praying for this consistently. Lord, deliver me from my sin. Help me stay away from those things. Lead me not into temptation like we prayed in the Lord's Prayer. We're to pray for his glory. His glory to be made known. Hallowed be thy name. We're to pray for steadfastness in the midst of trial. We're to pray for dark spiritual forces to be thwarted. It's easy to forget that our battle is not against the flesh and blood. Amen? It's easy for us to get that the things that are going on in our culture, that there's an enemy, a real enemy that's behind a lot of that stuff. And so we need to be praying for dark spiritual forces to be thwarted. This stuff matters because unceasing prayer for the wrong things won't be helpful, nor will it be fruitful. Did you catch that? Unceasing prayer of any kind for the wrong things won't be helpful, nor will it be fruitful. In fact, each of these things needs to be prayed from a very particular perspective. Let me point to two texts of Scripture. The first one is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, being God, that if we ask anything according to what? His will, He hears us. That's important, isn't it? That's an important piece. Like if we ask anything in accordance to his will, he hears us. And then James 4 says, you ask and you do not receive. So here's what's going on in the church. Like we're asking God for these things and he's not listening to us. He's not giving us what we're asking for. And James is saying, well, you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly, which means brothers and sisters, there's a right way to ask and a wrong way to ask. There's a right way to pray. There's a wrong way to pray. And he says, you ask wrongly because you asked to spend it upon your passions. Like, this is important. Our prayers, even the ones I just listed, need to be aligned with his will and his purposes, not ours. That's hard, isn't it? That's really hard, isn't it? It's really easy for me to go to God and ask him to do things the way I want him to do things. Let me give you a visual I think is helpful. And we have all these things that I listed earlier. Forgiveness, faith, healing, open doors for the gospel, leading, gifts, deliverance, strength, all of those different things. But all of them should be done and asked for underneath the umbrella of his will. So, so let's, let's just think of this practically. So take help, for example. What are we praying for? Help for what? Lord, would you please help me to get a raise in my job so that I can buy a bigger house. Right? Because that is will? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, God certainly blesses us at times, but we don't know that that's his will. But on the flip side, if you say, Lord, give me help because I'm getting ready to go into this room with non-Christians and I need help to be strong and faithful. We know that's his will. Amen? 
right? Oh, how about leading? You saw leading up there, like the reason why that needs to be in there. Like, Lord, lead me in this job into the place that's going to allow me to have the most comfort, the most security, the whatever it may be. Like, we pray that prayer all the time. I pray that prayer all the time. But is that according to his will? Again, maybe. I'm not saying that's sinful to ask, but there's no guarantee that God's going to answer that the way I want him to. But if I ask God, Lord, lead me into the place where I can be the greatest light for your kingdom. Lead me to the job where I can be the most salt in this world. That is a prayer in accordance with his will. And so even these things that we see biblically there, like we're to pray those things in accordance to his will. And with his mind, with this in mind, we see in this parable a very particular component of his will that happens to be consistent throughout the Psalms and the prophets and the New Testament. So go back to the parable again and look at it with me. <clears throat> and there was a widow in that city, and I want you to notice if you see anything as we go along, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because there, this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Justice is mentioned four times in five verses. Anytime you see that kind of repetition in a scripture, you need to pay attention. Anytime when we think, well, what does this actually mean for us? And you see something like that happen. Like you need to be mindful because God's telling us what the context is. Jesus isn't talking about just any old prayer, is he? He's not just talking about the prayer for the chiefs to beat the bills today. Right? That's not what this is about. There's nothing to do with the context of this parable. Justice is repeated over and over again, and it's intended not just to be an admonishment or to be an admonishment, just not to just be praying for us to have good days. Like I, I've prayed that with my kids. Right? Like, Lord, help Jade to have a good day at school today. That's not what he's getting to. What he's talking about is us praying that the evil in this world will be dealt with. All right, go back to this picture again. This is the main, one of the main arcs of Scripture, that God would restore everything to the way that it's supposed to be. Think about this list. Why do you need strength? Will you need strength in heaven? No, because you'll be in heaven and there won't be anything for you to push against. Will you need deliverance from anything in heaven? No, are you going to need a leading? No, because you'll be able to be there in the presence of God all the time. Like These things are needed because we live in a broken and fallen world. Amen? It's all messed up. It's all broken. And our prayers should be a constant crying out for God to help us in this world and to bring light where there is darkness. Darkness of suffering and hurt and fear and loss and anxiety and affliction. Justice is part of the will. It's the handle to the umbrella, if you look at that picture. 
Like it's, Lord, bring about your will in these things. Like take it away. Like get rid of it. Jesus is mindful because he wants us to have a constantly prayerful state of mind towards his will and the bringing about of his justice in this world. This is to be a prayer that persists, a prayer that is not neglected. And this gets to that question of what does Jesus mean by always? Don't neglect this prayer. Don't give up. This is a prayer that never gives up. Even in the midst of tremendous and overwhelming brokenness and injustice that is all around us. Listen, Jesus would certainly include the daily consistent prayers. I think that that's part of this. But that's not what this parable is about. This parable is pointing out the need to continue to pray even in light of circumstances that might not clearly reveal his work, his presence, or his hand. I'll give you a practical example. When Ethan was about nine months old, he got RSV. Uh, Some of you have walked through that. That's a challenging, dangerous time um, for a kid to get RSV. Ethan had a terrible case of RSV. He ended up in the hospital. And uh, we were having a rough time, and it was like three days into this process. We'd been praying that the Lord would heal Ethan, and um, things would get better, but he wasn't eating. They were having trouble getting stuff out of his lungs. Like, it was just a really hard time. And we're, we're praying, and we're praying, and then we get this call from the doctor, hey, we need to talk. And they come, and they say, we need you to sit down. We think that Ethan has some heart issues as well that we've discovered. And we just were like, you've got to be kidding me. And in that moment... I would be completely lying to you if I was not tempted to lose heart. To say, I'm praying and it's getting worse, not better. Anybody been there? Like that's the reality of our lives oftentimes, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. Like we didn't completely give up, but I felt that temptation in my heart. And the Lord was certainly faithful with Ethan. But what happened was that revealed my lack of faith in very real time, and it was really hard. Jesus is telling us, look, don't lose heart. Don't give up, even though you don't see my hand, even though you don't see my work, even though you don't feel like I'm there in this moment, I have not left you. Don't quit. Which leads us to the next point that I think this parable reminds us. It's this, life will tempt us to lose heart. Pray always, don't lose heart. You ever been there? Have you ever been tempted to lose heart amidst trial, sickness, loneliness, failure, attacks, betrayal, maybe just exhaustion? Like you're a mom or a dad and you're trying to deal with the day-to-day of life or work or work's not going well or school and you're trying to excel in those things. And man, you feel like life is just a giant game of kind of two steps forward and three steps back. And you're praying and you're going to church and you're reading your Bible and you're like, man, I just, I feel like the world's against me. We've all been there. And if you haven't, you just haven't lived long enough yet. Like at some point, we're all gonna walk down that path. We're all going to come to a place in life where we feel afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. 
These are biblical terms. These are not mine. These are biblical terms. When what feels like injustice is just coming all around us. Like this plays itself out. When you're in high school and you feel like the, the worst player gets elevated to varsity while you sit on the, uh, on the JV bench, right? You're like, well, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. When someone mischaracterizes you, mischaracterizes your intentions, when someone lies about you or rejects you or abandons you, when you look at life and it seems like, man, the unrighteous and the wicked, they're gaining and they're living the life that you want while you struggle. When the wicked have health, you get cancer. You seek obedience and you're struggling and the wicked are prospering. Listen, this is the rubber hitting the road of this text. And Jesus is saying, don't give up. Persist in prayer. Cry out to our God that he might bring justice and right what is wrong in every part of our lives. And it's a reminder that we live in a darkening age, don't we? This is the season of the world that we live in, isn't it? For us as Christians, in this day and age, we know that this is absolutely true. The world isn't going to get better. I'm sorry. It's not. The world is not going to get better. The reason we know this is because the scripture tells us this is the case. Things are going to get harder. Things are going to get harder in this world before Jesus returns. And some days it's going to feel like evil is winning, that evil is overcoming. Anybody look at our culture and feel that way sometimes? I mean, we're trying everything we can and evil just keeps winning the day. Where sin is going to increase and animosity for anything godly and anything good seems to be increasing. Where famine increases and wars and rumors of wars and injustices and diseases. Like, will you lose heart? Will we lose heart? Because he's told us what is coming. And Jesus is saying, like, don't lose heart. Persist in your prayers. Ask for justice. Call for Christ to bring about justice. Jesus knows that we are going to be pressed to ask the very question in verses 7 and 8, where he says, will God not give justice to the elect? I'm glad he answers it. Jesus says, I tell you, God will give justice to his people. But he also asked the question, will he find faith? See, it takes faith to continue to persist in prayer, doesn't it? Because the circumstance looks like God's not doing anything, but I continue to pray and trust that he is doing something. I continue to declare that he's working in this world. Will you persist in prayer Believing that he is listening, that he is working, that he is moving. Not based on our circumstances, but based on the fact and the truth that he is coming again. Amen? We need to be more excited about that, by the way. Like, he's coming again. There we go. When, not if, we are afflicted by wicked people. When, not if, we get sickness. When we feel the perplexion of looking at the day and age and we're like, we've done what we're supposed to do and we're perplexed. Why? Why did the value of them both amendment not pass? 
Like it should have passed. And we're perplexed and we're like, why is abortion growing in Kansas? And we don't understand what's going on and we're perplexed in regards to all the other things that are going on in this world. Or, or we begin to get canceled across our culture or mocked because of our faith or we're seen as the enemies against the world simply because of truth. This is all happening. This isn't theory. God is going to bring justice. If he came back today, would he find faith in you? Would he find faith in me? Would he find faith in this church bearing fruit in persistent prayer for his will and for justice, crying out to him, Lord, come. I want to give you a very practical case study in this process. Many of you know the story of King David. King David was uh, one of the great kings of the Old Testament. And if you know David's story, David was just a young shepherd uh, out in the fields. He was the youngest in his family, so he didn't have a lot of prospects. In fact, if you were to think of David um, as the youngest in his family, he would have been the least important there. And yet this man, the prophet, comes to David. His name is Samuel, and Samuel anoints David as king. But he leaves him in the field, Right? And so if you know the story, what happens is there's this point in time where David is anointed king over Israel, but then it's 15 years before God actually puts him in the, thr- in the throne. Now, it doesn't feel like 15 years because you just turn a couple of pages as you're reading, but it's 15 years. Think about 15 years. And what happened in that 15 years? He was chased. He was hungry. He was homeless. He was threatened by life. Like Saul, the current king, wanted nothing more than to kill David. David had to act like a crazy person and run to the enemies of God. Like, do you think David ever was tempted to lose heart? You told me I'm going to be king. We're on year five, and I'm still in a cave, and Saul's still trying to kill me, and I don't have anybody following me, and I'm hungry, and I'm cold, and I'm tired, and there's an army outside the mouth of this cave. Hello? Like, we read the scripture like, oh, man, this is easy. It's David. He's going to be king. No, no. David felt this, and we're all going to feel this. And David writes a beautiful psalm in Psalm 27. And as he writes this psalm, you can see this whole thing play itself out. So I want you to turn to Psalm 27. Um, I'm not going to have time to read it right now. I'm going to read it at the end of our service. But I want you to take Psalm 27 home with you. But I want to outline it for us just real quickly so that we can see this in real life with a man of God in the circumstances that don't look like things are working out. So in Psalm 27, again, Here's David's very real circumstances that he expresses in Psalm 27. Evildoers are assailing him. Sounds fun, right? People are coming after me. Armies are encamping against him. I'm encircled. I have no hope. Like they're all over the place. This is his real circumstance. War is rising. Like, this is David, the one who's been told he's going to be king. This is what he's experiencing in this moment right now. Now, look at David's prayers in Psalm 27. Let me dwell in the presence every day. Remember the umbrella of your will and justice. Let me dwell in your presence every day. Let me gaze upon your beauty. Where's David thinking most of 
Is he thinking about his circumstance and woe is me, man, this is horrible? Or is he wanting to be in the presence of God? He knows the important thing. Be gracious and answer me. Lord, give me what I don't deserve and hear my cry. Don't hide yourself. Don't turn away in anger. Listen, David even acknowledged, he's like, listen, I'm not perfect. And so in, in my failures, don't turn away from me in anger. Teach me your way and lead me on level paths. I love this prayer. What's amazing in this text is David's not saying, take away my enemies and get rid of those. I mean, at some level he does, there is that in the Psalms for sure. But what he's saying is like, in this circumstance that looks like it's all bad and I've got all these enemies around me, show me what you want me to learn. Teach me what you're trying to do inside of me in this circumstance. Teach me your ways. Help me to grow more, to be like you. Help me to walk in your ways. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, but your will be done. Right? Your will, which you said I would be king, let your will be done. See, this should instruct us in the midst of affliction, in the midst of perplexing realities, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of feeling like we're struck down. David isn't just focused on removing his circumstance. That's not what his prayers are focused on, but he desires God's will to be done in him, through him. He wants to be in the presence of God. He wants to continue to walk in faithfulness with God. But then I love, David now turns. He goes from his prayers, but now he declares his faith. I love this. This is David's declaration. He will hide me in his shelter. So here's David in a cave looking to be killed by Saul, and he's saying, I've prayed these prayers. I know he's going to hide me in his shelter. I know that he is going to conceal me. He's declaring his faith. I trust it. Even though it doesn't look like this is going to happen, even though I don't look like I can see any way outside of this, he will, will conceal me and he will lift me high. Like that's an amazing prayer, isn't it? So wherever you are, whatever circumstance you're in right now, can you pray in faith? I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care what the doctor has said. He will lift me high in this life or the next. My God will be faithful. He will do these things. This is the conviction of David's heart. And it isn't based on what he sees in front of him. It is based upon the conviction that he knows the character of God. And he knows the promises of God. And he knows the faithfulness of God. And he knows the purposes of God. And then David says something even more. He makes a statement of faith. A statement in faith that David would have had to hold to for 15 years. He says, I believe. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord, or Yahweh, in the land of the living. He said, listen, I see my circumstances. I've prayed the prayers, and I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. Do you believe you're going to see the goodness of the Lord? whatever circumstance you're in. As this world gets darker and darker and darker and darker, brothers and sisters, do you believe you will see the goodness of the Lord? I do. And we should be excited about this. 
This is the hope of faith, the hope of faith that we will conquer. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, we are afflicted in every way. Like, Paul's not mincing words here. He's like, listen, we are afflicted in every way, but guess what? We are not crushed. You're not getting us with that. You're not crushing us because we trust in God. We're perplexed. Like, we don't get what's going on, but we will not be driven to despair because our God sits upon the throne. We won't be driven to despair. We may not get it. We may not know what's going to happen in the elections coming up in November. We may not understand what's happening in Russia and all these different places, but we, we don't have to despair, brothers and sisters. We're going to be persecuted, but in your persecution, you will never be forsaken. You may be struck down, but you will not be destroyed because your God holds you and he holds your eternal destiny. This is the hope of the Lord. And this is what Jesus is saying. Pray always for him to come. Pray always for his justice. Do not neglect the prayers for these things and don't lose heart. Our hope, our faith, as Jesus points us to this in this parable, is in the God who will bring justice. All we have to do is wait, just like David did. Wait for Yahweh. That's what that Lord means when you see it capitalized. That's his name. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. Sounds like don't lose heart, doesn't it? Let me read it again. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. What a wonderful promise for us. Brothers and sisters, this is the point of what Jesus is saying. He knows that to, believe, to be a follower of his in the ever-darkening age is going to be hard. It's going to bring about its challenges. And he says, don't forget to pray. Always pray. Not just that you'll have a good day. Pray in accordance to his will. Pray for justice. Pray that he will come. Pray that his justice will come and he will right all of the wrongs. Don't give up and don't lose heart. Pray, pray, pray. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray. We're going to close in prayer. And I know I'm late and I don't care. Right? So we're going to, we're going to pray because this is one of the most important things that we can possibly do as the people of God. Pray always. And if you don't know what to pray, think about the list that I gave up. Pray for help. Pray for leading. Pray for wisdom. Pray for faith. Pray for other believers' faith. Pray for God's glory to be made known. Pray for laborers in the harvest to be sent out into the fields. Right? Like pray for these things. Pray for God's justice to come. Think about the brokenness in your world. Think about the brokenness in this world. Think about the brokenness in our culture. And pray that God will bring about his justice. Persist in it. And we're gonna do that. And I'm gonna invite you to do it however you feel led to do it. If you wanna do it out loud, do it out loud. You wanna do it silently, do it silently. You wanna get together with your family that you came with or some friends, pray with some friends and family. I'm gonna invite our elders and pastors and prayer counselors. Would you guys go ahead and come on up right now during this time? Because they're going to be up here at the front if you want to have someone pray with you. Because maybe you're in that season of life where you're just like, man, 
I feel like I'm losing heart. Some of you feel that way this morning. Some of you are here right now and you feel like you're losing heart. Don't walk that, that journey alone. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. And we're just going to do that. And then I'm going to read Psalm 27 at the end. If you're in this room and prayer is weird for you and you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not a believer in the Lord, I get it. Like You may be like, whoa, super weird. Listen, here's what I would encourage you to do. Just bow your head, close your eyes. I would challenge you to pray. Take all of your doubts to him and say, I don't think you're real. I don't think you're this. I don't think you're that. You've let this happen and I'm mad and I'm this. Listen, God is big enough to handle your accusations. And I would encourage you to pray, show yourself to me. If you really want to see him, just say, open up my eyes. I believe that he will. Because he said, if you seek him, and you seek him with all of your heart, like, you'll find him. And so if you don't know what to pray, and you think this is all weird, and you don't even know what words to pray, just say, Lord, God, whoever you are created all this stuff, like, open up my eyes to see you if you're real. And if you want to talk to somebody, you can take this opportunity right now. But I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And then Ryan is just going to silently, or just quietly play. And I just want to invite you to pray, however you feel. You want to come up to these altar, these steps, come do so. You want to talk to one of our elders or pastors, come do so. You want to stand, do so. You want to get on your knees, do so. But let's pray. Father, I love the encouragement that you've given to us in your word. That you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will never be slow to bring about justice. You will do it exactly when you want to do it. You will do it exactly in the timing that you have deemed to do it. We may think it's slow. It isn't to you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to increase our faith. And Lord, in the next couple of moments, you, in only the way that you can, can hear the hearts of every man, woman, young person, student, child in this room. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Incline your ear to your people right now. Church, I encourage you to pray. I encourage, if you want prayer for healing, our elders and prayer counselors would love to just pray over you. You want prayer for deliverance from a sin, our prayer counselors and elders would love to pray over you. You want prayer from someone else that your faith would be remaining steadfast and strengthened. Just come forward, we'd love to pray for you. Would you stand with me? Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want to read Psalm 27 for us. And I'm going to read it with the Lord's personal name in it. Because it's important for us to remember that our God is not an impersonal God. Our God is not a God who is not made himself known. He has told us his name. And it's Yahweh. 
Yahweh, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, oh, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Hear that encouragement, brother and sister. Whatever you're going through, good, bad, celebratory, difficult, suffering, affliction, whatever it is, wait for Yahweh. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Not in your circumstances. Let your heart take courage in his character and his faithfulness. Wait for Yahweh. As we close, I want to read together the Great Commission because these are our marching orders given to us by our Lord and Savior. So please read with me out of Matthew chapter 28. As they come up on the screen, there you go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a promise you can hold on to, church. He is with you always to the very end of this evil and dark age, and he will be with us into the next age where he is the king and he rules for eternity. God bless. Hope to see you next week. I hope you have a wonderful week.